One of these, uh, uh, I think God uses lots of things in his word, and that's why we need to look at the entire counsel of his word. We don't need to just pick and choose, but we go through it all, which is what I'm so thrilled about, about our church and how our pastor goes through scripture. But anyway, uh, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter number four. And I have lofty goals to get through the entire chapter this morning. I'm a contractor, which means I'm an eternal optimist. Tomorrow will be better than today. That's, that's why we have to do what we do. But uh, I think we can uh, get through chapter 4 today. Uh, chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 1, says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now that one verse, it kind of ties back in just a little bit to uh, chapter 3 there. And, and talking about standing firm in the Lord, you can go back up into chapter 3. And he basically says, the way you stand firm in the Lord is to keep your eyes on Christ. If we keep our eyes on Christ, we can stand firm in the Lord. And to remember that this world is not our home. Uh, and it is our focus needs to be on Christ. And then that brings everything under his Control. So that's kind of, verse 1 kind of just ties back in to wrap up chapter 3. But look in verse 2 now. It says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, if we start looking at this passage there, there's a few things just to kind of that we can, I think, glean from this. Uh, in some of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he was dealing with doctrinal issues that they were getting out of whack in their beliefs. But here, this is kind of a relationship issue. We don't know what's going on, but something is going on between two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. Now, can you believe that there could ever be a conflict in a church? We're all God's people, but could people ever just disagree? Well, sure we can. It can happen. I was at a church one time, and there had been some disagreements over the coffee that was made on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. Finally, one Sunday morning, it erupted into a fist fight in the parking lot. I'm really not kidding, guys. Now, that's when we let these things get out of hand. Uh, there was, some of y'all are old enough to remember Mayberry, and Barney used to always have a saying about nip it, nip it, nip it. You need to nip it in the bud. When there is these conflicts, and they're going to happen, it may just be we don't like the color of the carpet. We may not like which side the piano's on. We're gonna have differences of opinions, but what he says there, look key at the end of verse 2. Be of the same mind in the Lord. We're not always going to agree on everything, but of the things of the Lord we do need to agree on. That's why we at this church, we do a lot of things. We have prospective member classes. We do everything where we know up front that we can agree in the things of the Lord. You know, there are certain things we don't worry about, but the things of God we need to understand. 
And then in verse 3, he goes on and says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers. Here he's talking about a whole lot of people that are involved here. There's men, there's women, uh, there's Clement. I'm not sure which that is, but it's a man or a woman. I can tell you that much. And then the rest of the fellow, there's a key word right there, workers. Okay? Workers. He wants all of us to be workers in the church. Now, do not misunderstand. You are not saved by works. Okay? It's not by anything you've done. It's according to His mercy, His grace that you're saved. But you are called to works. Okay? Uh, once you get that position, you're expected to work. Uh, hopefully some of you all in here can relate to this example. Uh, maybe somebody in here has been employed before. Okay? Uh, if you've been employed, when you're there, you show up, they don't expect you to just sit around and do nothing. They expect you to work. That's, that's the nature of the beast. Christ is the same way. Once he calls us out, he makes us his own, he puts us there, he wants us to be workers. And the other thing is, he says, fellow workers. We're all equal here. You know, we're all the same. We're all fellow workers that we need to be doing these things. And the key part, the end of verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. You know, because our names were written in the book, he called us unto him, he saved us, and our name is written in the book of life. And no eraser can ever take that away. It's always going to be there in that book. Now, uh, let's look down at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, let's just think back about who's writing this letter. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. Do we know where Paul is? We do. We're pretty sure Paul is in prison. Paul has not had a wonderful life. Paul has been persecuted. Paul has suffered hardships. Lots of things are going on with Paul. But he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know why he tells you to rejoice? Because sometimes you have to be told to rejoice or you won't. You'll forget. You get your dauber down because everything is going wrong and you forget to rejoice at all the good things. You're one of those people that you look at that glass that has, it's got, it's a 16 ounce glass, got eight, eight, eight ounces of water. And you look at it and say, man, that thing's half empty. I look at it and say, man, that thing's half full. It's our perception in how we look at this to realize that we can rejoice. To compare anything that we do with some of the other folks, man, I don't have anything at all to gripe about. I can rejoice in the Lord. Because I know what he did. I know that God saved me when I was a poor, wretched sinner. The vilest of offenders, and God saw fit to save me. Now, why? I, I, I don't know. I can't fathom it. It's like the song, you know, how deep the Father's love. But I do know that through all this, he gives us some direction. We just need to rejoice. We always need to come forth and rejoice. Be reminded, you have to remind yourself of that sometimes, so do that. Then in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. 
The Lord is at hand. Now, when we talk to people outside the church here, when he's talking to all men, that would be to folks outside the church. Gentleness. Uh, there was an old country saying that you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. You know, and how we present the gospel, how we talk to those, how we witness to those around us can have a big effect. Uh, I, I came up with two examples to help, help kind of understand this. Some of y'all have heard of Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, Westboro Baptist Church, that was the church that uh, they tended to protest at some murder victims' families at the, the LGBTQ and some of the the BLM funerals, and they would show up and protest at a funeral and basically cause a ruckus. I don't think that is being gentleness. Uh, but another example, uh, I belong to an organization called the Gideons International. We distribute scriptures around the world. Hopefully some of y'all have been in a hotel and seen maybe a Gideon Bible or something. And hopefully you have never seen the Gideons in the news. Uh, if any of y'all can kind of thank you, just think, uh, no, well, no, I have And that's because we want to be gentle. We believe in what this scripture is saying. We want to come. If there is a problem, we're going to walk away. We don't want to be caused or be causing somebody else to stumble. And that's how we look at this gentleness. Because the Lord is at hand. God is right here with us. He's at hand right here anytime. Now, back to the title of the message comes out here in verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Anxious is another word for worry. Any of y'all ever worry? Probably. About everybody does. I know people that worry that they're not worrying enough about stuff to worry about. And then there's other people that are maybe a little more like me. I try to not worry a lot. And to some people that's concerning. Well, you're not concerned. No, I am concerned, but I do understand what's behind the worry. You know, I can have confidence and be anxious for nothing, but there's something that we kind of have to do that. When we start looking at that Greek word that's translated anxious, it means to be pulled in different directions. So it's two things going in two different directions. Uh, it's kind of like our hopes are pulling us this way, our fears are pulling us this way. It's that kind of thing that happens there. Uh, and you know how worry impacts you. Uh, worry can impact you spiritually, mentally. It can even impact you physically with all the worry that you have. But what we need to think about from a spiritual point of view is wrong thinking and wrong feeling. That's kind of what worry is uh, about all the circumstances, people, things. Worry will rob you of your joy. Uh, and it's not, a, it's not enough to just say, well, I'm going to quit worrying, <laughs> you know, because that's never going to happen. We all, all the time, say, well, I'm not going to do this, or I'm not going to do this, or I am going to do this, and that doesn't help us a whole lot. We tend to get right there. But we have to realize that worry is, quote, as I said, it will steal your joy. It's an inside job. The thief to steal your worry is Satan, 
He's an inside job. He's going to get there. But we need to get our mind secure. You know, that's what we have to do. When you have a secure mind, the peace of God will guide us there, as it says in verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you've got a guard, it's hard for somebody to steal it. That's why we have the guard there, as it's mentioned. Now, when we look at what Paul says there in verses 6 and 7, you know, being anxious for nothing, I mean, is that realistic? I mean, you all have worries about jobs, kids, grandkids, mortgages, car, oh, I need to quit. It's making me depressed, right? Makes you worry. But when we start to realize it's not about the worry, turn your worries into what? Into prayers. That's what Paul is trying to show us here. Now, uh, and, and I'm going to use, again, I don't know how to do some of these things. I'm going to call it right praying. I'm going to teach you right praying, uh, if that's okay, or the way that I interpret what this passage says. And there's kind of three things, three parts of right praying. Now, this is Pat's definition of right praying, so don't uh, take any more. But you need to have prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. You know, that's what we see right here. Everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. That's verse 6. So I, it's pretty straightforward there what he talks about. But the word prayer is kind of the general word for making requests to God. Uh, when we find ourselves worrying, our first action needs to be get alone with God and worship him. Adoration, adore him, understand who God is. Realize that God is big enough to handle your problems. You know, that's what we need to do. Too often we just rush into God's presence and say, I need, I need, I need, please, please, please. And we don't realize about who God is and remember who he is, how great he is, how magnificent he is. So that's kind of the first part. The second part is the supplication stage, which is an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. You know, we need to be earnest. That means hard. You need to pray hard. You need to pray everything. You need to continue to go. We don't need to just be doing vain words or just much speaking. God's not impressed by how much you pray, but how you pray. Okay, that's what he wants us to do. Bring things to him. This is the way Christ prayed in the garden as he sweat great drops of blood when we see that. You know, it's not a matter of how much energy you can put, but how much spiritual intensity you can put into prayer. And after adoration and supplication comes appreciation. Showing thank you for God. Do we tell people thank you? Do we just expect it? You know, we need to tell God, thank you. What about when Jesus healed the ten lepers? Only one of them said, thank you. Are we like that? Or do we do what, what we need to be doing? Do we go forth and, and tell God, thank you? But we need to do this, but we need to take everything to God in prayer. That's what, that's what he says. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. That's kind of the difference. That's what Paul was showing. You know, we tend to pray about the big things in life, but we don't always think about the little things. But the problem is those little things will grow to become big things. 
And as I referenced earlier, if you've got the Barney Fife mentality of nip it, nip it, nip it, you can nip it in the bud when it's a little thing, you know, and we can do that. And that's how we get to every, pray to God about everything that concerns us, and that helps us get to our victory over worry. And the result is the peace of God. Now, think about Paul. He's chained to a Roman soldier, guard. He's in a prison. You know, I don't know that that would be very peaceful. But I've also noticed certain things that myself. When I'm at peace, I can go to sleep anywhere. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I finally figured that out about myself. And, you know, I'm going to give you the secret of good night's sleep right now. Be quiet and be still. You do that and I just go to sleep. Because I can have peace. Now when we have peace, that is just not worry. That's the opposite. You know, Peace of God, when we start getting that, it takes us a step further. It doesn't mean we're not going to have trials and tribulations. But it does mean a quiet confidence that we can have that we're going to get through it. That's how we can have peace. We know we're going to be over on the other side. It's kind of like when you all go on a vacation this time of year with some of your kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You can be confident of what's going to go. Now, there's still the trial of getting there, and some of you guys, I, I do not envy those trips for you. But you have that confidence because you know you're going to be there at the end. I mean, we, we think about how you can have confidence. Think about Daniel, you know, when all of a sudden the command comes down, you can't pray. So what does Daniel do? He goes up onto the roof, opens all the doors and windows, and prays. Okay? So then, all of a sudden, he's thrown in with the lines, as we know. And what happened? What did he do? Daniel 6.10 says he prayed, gave thanks before his God, and he made supplication. It's the same three points. And then he was able to just sleep there fine with the lines. And what happened? King couldn't sleep at all that night that threw him to the lines because he didn't have that peace. But that's one of the things that we need. Uh, then in, in verse 8, it starts talking about right thinking. This is another thing we need to have is right thinking. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Okay, peace involves the heart, but it also involves your mind. And we need to have right thinking. Uh, you know, because all these things, I want to give you a quote from Warren Wiersbe. He says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And that's kind of how we need to look at it. It all starts with thoughts and our mind. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. And before long, again, your heart and mind are going to be pulled apart. We need to have the right thoughts to start with. Thoughts are real and powerful. We all have those things. But Paul spells out to us that we need to bring these into obedience. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And here he talks about, there he says, whatever things are true. 
Uh, Dr. Walter Cavert reported a survey about people that worry. And he indicated that only about 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, never happened, or involved matters over which there was no control. Isn't that really the way it is? We worry about stuff for nothing. Y'all are of the age, you remember Y2K. Now, some of you younger people don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But the year, when the year 2000 came, every computer in the world was going to shut down. Your refrigerator would turn off. Your microwave wouldn't work. The world was just going to not be the same as we knew it. That's what we were told. And I remember at home, me and Angie were like, oh, wow, it's getting closer to that time. It's getting closer to that time. You know, it was like a New Year's Eve of all New Year's Eves, you know, because what's going to happen? And you know what happened just after midnight on January the 1st, the year 2000? Nothing. People were worried to death over it. I mean, it was a big deal. We can't change that. We need to not worry about that stuff. You know, only things that are true. You know, what things that we need to be true. Because Satan is the one, he's the author of lies. He's going to do those things to us. Uh, if you look down the next, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are honest and just. Noble, honest, just. You know, that worthy of respect and right things. There's a lot of things you can put into your head that don't accomplish anything. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not necessarily filling your mind with the things of God. There's no problem with knowing the batting average of every person on the Atlanta Braves. Okay? But if we're spending all our time filling up our minds with that, then we're not getting our mind on these things. These things of God. You know, whatever things are just. Whatever things are pure. Whatever things are of good report. You know, are things something that has virtue? If it has praise, you know, these are things that we need to be doing that we can edify others and show Christ to other people around us as we look at these. Then he says, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, meditation is something that we all hear different things about, and it is not sitting with your legs crossed and your fingers like this going on. Okay, that's not what God's talking about. Meditate. It's the same word that's called ruminate. We're country folks around here in Kingston. We're going to drive by on the way home cows. Okay? The word ruminate comes from the same word. Cows have stomachs called a rumen. And if you'll look at the cow laying there in the shade, its mouth is just going. And what it is doing, its rumen is helping it to break down the grass that it has eaten that day. And it's just ruminating. It's just going over and over and over that same grass so that it can be broken down to be translated to microbes, which can be translated to protein for the cow. But it's ruminating. It's continually doing that. It's just sitting there on. And that's what we need to do about Scripture. Get it into your head. Ruminate on it. Think about it. Tear it apart. Look at it. And then what you're going to be just like me. When I go to Scripture, I'll look at that. I'm like, 
man, I never saw that before. You know, because that's when we do those things. We can meditate on it and just go over and over. Verse 9 says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul here is doing something that's very scary to me. He says, the thing which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these. Can we really say that? Do I want people to see me or do I want them to see Christ in me? That's what I want them to do. But so many times I'm just, I have to be careful. I do, you know, do people mimic you? Do people do what you want? You know, do they follow you? Do they try to look at you, put you up on a pedestal? And if they do, can they really follow you? That's what Paul is saying here. Paul said he lived in such a way that people could look at him and see Christ. Do you live that way? To where people can look at you and see Christ or say, wow, there's something different about that person. There's something different, you know. And that's, I think, what, you know, that's a scary thing that people are going to do, though. Be like this. Everything that you saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. God will be with you if you can do, as what Paul said here. Then in verse 10, he, he goes on just a little bit more, and he starts talking about generosity. Uh, verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Here, what Paul is talking about is that he's been on this missionary journey. Okay, He's going to all these other churches. And what happens when he's not making, you know, he was a tent maker by trade. So what if he's not home making tents? How does he get paid? Y'all like to get paid? I think pastors enjoy getting paid. I think they need to get paid. And this, you know, he's like, hey, at last your care for me is flourished. He says, finally. <laughs> I got some. That's good. It's good. But there's some stuff that we need to look at about that. He understands why. Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. They wanted to do something, but again, they didn't have FedEx. They couldn't do that. They didn't have Western Union. They couldn't transfer him money. They had to figure out some way to help support him. It was a chore to support him, and they didn't have the opportunity. But think about us today in 2023. Most of the time we have the opportunity, but do we have the desire? You know, I mean, money transfer happens like that. Most of y'all have a phone in your pocket. Now you can do all that kind of stuff anywhere. Do we have these things? But what Paul wants to know is now then you have the opportunity, verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Second part of the title of the message. Be content. Are we content? You know? There's two things to look at in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, uh, we're going to read a little more, and then we're going to come back up and dissect this. I think it works a little bit better. But let's go back to verse 12. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, there's something that we need to understand there. A word that keeps coming up is need. Okay? Need. Now, we all kind of understand what need means. But the biggest problem most of us have, again, this isn't grammatically correct, is we get our needer and our wanter confused. Okay? You've got a needer and you've got a wanter. Are they the same? Any of y'all in here ever had kids, been a kid, seen a kid? Probably most of us can relate. I need a new pair of Air Jordan tennis shoes. They're on sale for $485. Wow. <laughs> That's hard to see a need. I heard the other day a guy that was in a, one of the, whenever we go to gas station, you know, there's always people in there with lottery tickets. It's just the way it works. And he says, man, I need to win this lottery. You know, it was $300 million. And I'm thinking, what kind of problem has this guy got that he needs $300 million? <laughs> You know, that's a big problem. Needs. We, we all have needs. Now, sometimes they're different. You know, I one time I saw an eight-year-old said, I need a cell phone. I don't think so. But now... As a contractor, me today, I do need a cell phone. I couldn't do my job in the year 2023 without a cell phone, as much as I would love to. Okay. I have, so when we understand needs are going to be different between all of us, but we need to distinguish between needs and wants. Because look in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. We need to be content. How can we be content when we don't got to have something else? Like I said, cell phone's a perfect example. I, I need a cell phone. I do not have an iPhone 49 or whatever the latest model is. I have one that just kind of works most of the time, and I'm okay with that. I don't have to have the latest and greatest. I need what I need. What we need, and when we get that, we can be content. Contentment is things. Because when all these things happen, that's what we need is to be content. We know how God is working out all these things behind the scenes. Uh, Romans 8.28 famous verse everybody knows and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose that's what Paul is saying there everything's working out for good even though it may not be the way we would do it 
I mean, think about our lives and how everything has changed. What if God had allowed you to marry that first person that you fell in love with and you thought you were going to get married? Oh, man. There wouldn't be Angie up in the belfry today. It'd be Pam. <laughs> and I'm so glad it ain't. Okay? Me and Pam, we were in love in the fifth grade. I just knew it was going to be forever. But I'm glad it's not. You know, God saw what I needed and worked that out. You know, might not always be what I want, but God will provide our needs. You know, and we have to be so careful that. You know, when life goes on, it's not just a series of accidents. A lot of times people think it's just, you know, well, it just happened, just luck. No, life is a series of appointments. And the older you get, you can look back and see that as you get older that's when hindsight comes in and it's always 2020 hindsight always i mean you look back and you're like wow look how god worked out all that stuff you know isn't he good but we realize that because of the power of god uh paul goes on in verse 12 he says i know how to be abased i know how to do without i know how to be go through difficulties have any of y'all ever been through difficulties to do without? You know, I think most parents can know how that means. You do stuff for your kids before you do stuff for yourself. That's what that abased is trying to show. You do things for others. And then I can be full. I can be both hungry and abound and do suffer need. I can suffer through things. It's not a big deal. But verse 13, another famous scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what does that mean? Through. Through is a word that we don't think about a whole lot. We don't understand what through means. But through is how something gets from one point to another. Uh, conduit. Y'all know what conduit is? Conduit is a metal pipe. You see it a lot of times in houses and buildings and wires run through that conduit. Did you know conduit doesn't do nothing? But the wires that run through the conduit put the power on both ends. It lets the power from here get to here. Without the conduit, though, it can't happen. When we realize that through Christ, Christ is the conduit that the power of God gets to me. It's through that. Without that, it doesn't happen. That's what he's trying to show us there, I think, in verse 13. You know, uh, But we get it. Now, in verse 14, a few other things just to, to point out. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. How could these people share with all Paul's troubles? Well, they were praying for him. They were looking out for him. They did things to try to help him. They shared in that. Do we as a church share in people's burdens? This church does. When somebody has a need, we try to help. We try to pray for them. We try to maybe physically do something to do that. You have shared in the distress. And then he talks about how when his missionary journey first started, this was the only church that had any concern. 
You know, the others, he said, you were the only ones that even thought about, hey, how's he going to continue on? And they thought about that, and they made it happen. Uh, and he says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again. Everything. But look what he says. Just for all the stuff he wanted? Nope. For his necessities. Okay. I know that you can see some of the big televangelists. Maybe they do need their own fleet of jumbo jets. I don't know. I kind of doubt it. But that's how they kind of got their neater and wanter maybe a little confused about the necessities. And then he says, not that I seek the gift. It's not about me getting something. But why is he excited about this? I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. The fruit, because those people had the opportunity to give. And to give, based everything I could tell, they were not a rich church. It was a struggle for them to give money from their church to Paul. It was sacrificial giving, if you will. You know, when they were doing that, and Paul wasn't doing it, for him, you know, it was glad that it happened, but he wanted it to be given to their account. And that's why he says, I don't seek the fruit, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. I've got everything I need. But this stuff that you did, that was a sacrifice. Now, as he says uh, there at the end of verse 17, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Well, some of y'all that have been in my Sunday school class, as we were going through Leviticus, we, we saw lots about sacrifices and all the stuff and the different types of sacrifices. The thing about a sacrifice was it was needed to be pleasing to God. That was the purpose behind it. You needed to show God you were trying to serve God by doing this. And that's what he's saying here. It's not that they're serving Paul. They're serving God through Paul. That's how they're going about it. Paul is God's minister, and by doing that, they're offering the sacrifice to God, even though they're sending the money to Paul. The same way our church, we give to different mission organizations and different things. You know, it's an offering to God. We're giving it through these people the same way uh, he mentions to one thing there in verse 17 not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account I mean fruit fruit comes on a branch on a tree right that's where fruit comes from doesn't come from bushes fruit comes from trees and branches but sometimes when you look at that tree in the winter time what does it look like not a lot on it Looks dead, looks withered up. But only through the power that comes from the root, it comes all the way up through the tree, all the way out to the branch, and yields forth fruit. As we have ourself rooted in Christ, the power there is going to come up through that tree, out through the branches, and then we can yield the fruit. That's what that is saying right there. You know, and all these things, it just helps us to be content. Now, when you're content, it is so easy to preach and hard to live. You know, I get it. But look at verse 19. 
And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's going to supply everything we need according to what? His riches. Now, if we think about that, that's, again, a hard phrase for us to kind of wrap our arms around. But what it means is this. Uh, let's say I went up to Evan Lemons and said, Evan, I need to borrow some money. Okay. And Evan says, how much you need? I said, all you got. You know, I have a feeling that might be a few hundred dollars. Best case. Maybe a few thousand dollars. What if I went to U.S. Bank said, I need to borrow some money? How much could I borrow from U.S. Bank? From what I understand, they'll give hundreds of millions to anybody. Okay? So hundreds of millions. The difference is it is according to what those, those people have. Okay? One has a lot, one has little. When we realize according to his riches. What does Christ have? Everything. There's, it's immense. There's no end. That's what he has. And that's what we can do. He shall supply all your wants according to his riches. Right? Nope. Read carefully. He'll supply all you need. We still can't get our neater and our wanter confused. Okay? God's going to supply everything we need. And with that, we can be content. You know, it's hard to learn those kind of things. But you get to the point where you can. It's kind of like stuff. Uh, I am glad in the year 2023, people have tons of stuff because I'm building self-storage facilities every day. I mean, that is my gig now. I'm going all over. I've got lots more of them to get to build. And it's just stuff. But God showed me several years ago, there was a time when things weren't going well. Uh, we sold our house and ended up living in a camper for a while. It's going to be short term. We were going to build a house. There were other things that changed. You know, customers didn't pay and stuff. And so we ended up living in the camper a lot longer than the few months the plan had been. Four years, how long? Four years, you know, eight months, 20 days. She could tell you. <laughs> now, but, but God used that for old Pat to realize, I don't need near as much stuff. You know, I had a problem with wanting to accumulate stuff. And like I said, I'm just tickled to death that our nation as a whole likes to, you know, go Amazon. You know, people accumulate stuff, and it builds self-storage. But we miss, as Christians, the idea of being content. Being content. God's going to have us everything we need. Everything that we need according to what he has by Christ Jesus. It is through Christ that we get that. Then verse 20 says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, once again, Lord, we are just so grateful, Lord, for the day. We thank you, Lord, for this time that you've allowed us to be in your house, to uh, look at your word, Lord, to figure out how that we can take your word, Lord, and apply it to our lives. 
I just pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, that this might be the day that they do that. And again, we just pray, God, that everything that's done, Lord, would just be to bring you glory and honor. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and close our time in worship with, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh. 